listening to the Fresh Coast Podcast. We just finished our set here at the Dam Jam in Lansing, Michigan. Check us out at Danny Darling Music on Instagram. That's Danny Darling, Ann Arbor-based singer and songwriter, and you're listening to the Fresh Coast Podcast. This podcast was made possible through the generous support of the Cultural Advocacy Network of Michigan, the Michigan Council for Arts and Cultural Affairs, and the National Endowment for the Arts. My name is Josh Holliday, your host and the founder and editor of Fresh Coast Perspective. We are bringing you the latest stories and headlines on arts and culture here in the Fresh Coast State, our beautiful home in Michigan. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Christine Delaney, the executive director at the Tibbetts Opera House in Coldwater, Michigan, built in 1882. Christine has held this position since 2001, and her history with the Tibbetts extends more than 30 years, and she has a deep appreciation for historic preservation. She's no stranger to large restoration projects, having raised and invested over $3.5 million into the Tibbetts Opera House. Let's dive right in. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Josh. I'm pleasure to be a part of it. And so, Christine, you're the executive director at the Tibbet Opera House, founded in 1882 um, and located in uh, Coldwater, Michigan. Tell us a little bit more about the Tibbet Opera House. Tibbets was, like I said, it's, um, it's a community gem. It's actually kind of a regional gem. We're the second oldest operating opera house in the state of Michigan, um, theater. Um, but we operate year round and we have been fully active since 1962. So it, like many theaters, has its history. It was an opera house, kind of moved into uh, the vaudeville era. Then it was turned into a movie theater for a few years, mm -hmm. kind of parallels the whole entertainment industry. And then by the 1950s, as the movie industry was going into all kinds of turmoil with the end of the monopolies and the selling off of theaters and the advent of television. By that time, the owners of the Tibbetts Opera House also owned two other theaters. So this was the old one. So this is the one that got shut down. And like many theaters in the, you know, urban renewals of the late 50s and 60s, they talked about tearing it down and turning it into a parking lot. And the community gathered up the support and reopened it. 1962, it was opened by the Tibbetts Opera Foundation and Arts Council. And it's been going ever since. You know, Christine, I think that is so special. And I love that you just, um, shortly and concisely actually gave us a little bit of an overview of the evolution of American theaters, right? And so uh, this beautiful organization and facility that you have that's well over 100 years old, um, you also have on your website, if people go to your website at tibbets.org um, and go to the history tab, there's this really great um, graphic that shows the evolution of your facade. And so you guys have been doing various projects to restore and and almost bring the building back to its uh, original glory. Um, and if you go to the website on that page, you can see the evolution of that, which is a really interesting depiction uh, visually of uh, American historical theaters. And so tell us a little bit about um, the efforts that you guys have been doing to restore it and, and what that has looked like for you guys. Uh, well, it's been a process. <laughs> it's a long and dedicated process in the 19th. Well, that's, history that I told you about in the 1930s when it was turned into a movie theater, they actually took off the original French Second Empire facade. They 
covered over most of it. They chopped off the top. They turned it into an art deco, modern quote unquote uh, movie theater. And while it's sad that they did that, destroyed the facade, it saved the building. In many mm -hmm. cases, that's when many of those theaters were closed up and tore down and you know, raised for new big movie palaces to go in. So it did save it. But by the 1960s, even that facade was pretty worn out and they took it off thinking that they were going to restore it. And so one of those pictures is this ugly beat up brick facade that just, it, it looks like it's a deserted building and it should remain a deserted building. Um, what at the sixties, they couldn't actually afford to restore it to the, where they wanted to because the building had been closed down. So they needed lights, they needed curtains, they needed new seats, they needed a boiler. Every time they turned around, they need, had another need. And so the facade seemed like a luxury. So they covered it up with just a very plain brick facade, which took um, about five years to get it completely covered. And they kept meaning to come back to it. But again, it preserved what was there so that by the 19, well, 2000s, when we were able to take that facade off, the brick itself was actually in pretty good condition. And there were a lot of elements that we could easily save and recreate. So that too was a process. There were no drawing, there were no, yeah, there were no blueprints or drawings. Everything was done from photographs and from, you know, measuring those bricks right there on the scene. And so facade restoration, was kind of our our highlight so far. Yes, and for many of us that love visiting historic theaters and seeing them in communities across the country, but many that are here in the state of Michigan, um, I'm so glad personally to see that people are reinvesting in downtowns, they're reinvesting in these historic structures, that um, community theaters and companies are taking over these spaces or have taken over these spaces, but are investing in um, that because it is an economic driver. So um, what is the importance of this historic preservation, both for well, communities? You, you, you mentioned one is economic driver because it really does um, make provide a community with an extra uniqueness and qualities that you just can't recreate. You know, a new building just does not feel the same as an old building for most of most people. And they, what they want to go see is those uh, those unique architectural details um, from whatever era it is and represents. So especially a building like the Tibbets, because its facade, even when it was built, was really exemplary. It was far more grand than any of the opera houses of its era. So the fact that Coldwater, Michigan has this beautiful building that has now been restored, at least on the outside, is a great testament for the community and a great driver for the community. People can come in and that dome on the front kind of stands out. So people will come in, they'll turn off the main highway to get an extra look. Well, when they turn off the highway, then they're stopping to see some of the other little shops and stores and restaurants that are in the community. So all of that helps. And of yeah. course, there's always that adage, uh, the building that's always that's already built is the greenest building. So if you're looking for the uh, environmental quality, it's a historic building also. And so for 
some of us, like I live in Owasso, Michigan, and um, there's so many buildings that now we're starting to see some of the facades, kind of that art deco facade start to be removed. And there's always that fear that people have that when I remove this, it's going to be a big investment because we don't know what's behind it, right? And so um, for people, as someone that's gone through this process, if you're in a community, you're passionate about some of your downtown structures, historic preservation, you're a board member, maybe for an arts organization or entity or theater, you know, and you're looking at, wow, maybe we should pull down um, this facade that maybe in the 60s or earlier covered up the building. What are some of those resources that exist out there? Where should somebody look for more information? Um, who do they reach out to? Tell us a little bit about that journey. I know that it's that's a loaded, deep question, but if you were just wanting to get started, um, where should somebody start? I would say it's really, really important to do your research and get some people that know. And uh, as you know, the National Park Service is probably the best resource for everything on how to take care of your brick to what to do with these plaster walls. And one of the things that I can look back on in the 1960s, they saved the building and it's a fabulous thing, but 1960s didn't really understand these old buildings and it was just about making it pretty. And some of the things that they did to get it reopened actually created further damage. Mm -hmm. So before you just jump into fixing things up, do your research, do it well. So for instance, they put up, um, wallpaper on the inside of the theater to cover up the plaster walls that I'm sure had cracks and marred and that was an easy way to make it look much better and it did but over the years that paper created a vapor barrier which a historic building as old as Tibbetts required the air movement in and out that was part of the structure of the building. So there's so much brick and then there's space and then there's this plaster wall that had to breathe and the vapor barrier ended up making the plaster disintegrate. There's so many- Well-meaning, but just you need to do your research to know that you're not gonna create further damage with your fixes. You know, there's, there's so many little details that people wouldn't even expect or uh, that you maybe um, wouldn't know why they did X, Y, Z but then how do you repair that effectively and, and, and responsibly? And so I think also it's interesting, particularly when I'm looking at the evolution of the, of the facade. Um, and I know that you guys have been doing much more work than just your facade at the Tibbets, but um, many That's projects- That's definitely the most dramatic. <laughs> there's many projects in historic preservation that also take um, more than just a construction company. They take artists and creatives to bring these structures back to life. You know, and I'm guessing that you were able to be part of some of that process. Um, and particularly, what, what did that look like? Because you can see some of the accents that were on the outside of the building that clearly had to be re-sculpted, remolded to look like the original. So mm -hmm. what was that process like? Was it inspiring? Tell us a little bit about so that. It was so inspiring. And we had just a fabulous team. And Grand River Builders is the one who did, they did all the brickwork and they did all the metal work. All of that detail in the front of our building is actually metal. So it had to be crafted and molded into um, the pieces with no blueprints. They just had to do it from the photographs and fortunately we had many photographs of the outside of the building and then actual measure from this hole to this hole on uh, this 
torn up facade exactly how each piece fit in. So the craftsmanship was just amazing. Even the brick, they found the brick that was the exact match in how it was built as far as the limestone mix. Only it was the wrong size. So each one had to be hand cut to exactly fit. There are 176 brand new brick on our building and you'd be hard pressed to figure out which ones they are because they did such a beautiful match. And, it's, and then when we get to the interior, we have artists who've done the painting and we have a sample paint of what the original artwork would look like. It's just true craftsmanship. And I think that's part of what is so special about these old buildings is that they are just not manufactured. Mm -hmm. They, everyone was crafted and the people that put them together and, and designed them were fabulous artists. Yeah. And and these artists and creatives and these architects and they live here in Michigan, which is so cool. Like I think people listening, I hope understand that there are people that are part of our creative economy here that are doing this work. Um, I particularly, I can think of a gentleman named Eric Larson. He lives up in Midland and he's recently been working on, he does this for a living and he was working on a, an opera house, I believe it was in Indiana, um, but he was showing like these historic pictures and it like, I don't know how he could even make out the detail because the pixelation on these photos from like the 1800s is so, uh, so distinct and and to be able to craft something that looks so much like the original is amazing and these people are here in the fresh coast state and i just think that is so neat we have just so many so many talented people in this community in this this state like you said it truly is amazing and i don't think they get shout outs nearly enough <laughs> yeah i'd agree with that well so you have been working on preserving the history of this organization for many years that's been around since 1882, as we discussed, but it's not always just about um, what's gone on the last uh, hundred and so odd years. This is also about what's going to be happening in the future. So what is, what's on the horizon for the Tippert's Opera House um, as you reopen, um, as maybe some of these projects, as you continue to restore the building, what's ahead? Well, it, as far as restoration, we are continuing to work on it project by project, piece by piece, as much as we can. And everything that we're doing as far as restoration, the entire vision is about taking the Tibbets for another hundred years. It's like, what is really going to make us a sustainable building so that the decisions that we made on the facade were not ones that are for 10 years. They're ones that I should not have to worry about again in my lifetime. I'm gonna be retired before they have to redo anything on the facade other than touching up the paint, I hope. <laughs> um, so that's one thing is that it's a long-term vision. But our vision as far as our operations, because a building is only as good as what you use it for. And mm -hmm. we are a fully functioning arts community center for this community. We do professional work. We do a lot of community work. So we, um, our biggest thing is we are known for our professional summer theater, which we're in the midst of right now when we got to move it back into the theater midsummer amidst all of that rain. Um, but we hire people from all over the country to come and present our shows, professional um, musicals, plays. And in normal years, we also have children's productions that are just absolutely fabulous. 
The rest of the year we do touring artists, so professional artists and it might be tribute bands. Um, we have an opera singer who's coming in and we also have a jazz band that's coming in and a tribute to Elton John. Just some of the, those types of things. And they're professionals and they're touring through and so that's one of our series. We do a huge amount for our kids, both again, bringing in those tours for the, to bring them to the theater. And then we bring the schools in to see the shows that often correlate directly to the curriculum. But then we also produce two shows a year with a cast of kids where they get to be on stage. And it's up to 50 kids that we get involved. One's a musical and one's a non-musical every year. So they get to really see what it's like to be on stage, all aspects of theater. They learn to, you know, work as a team and then overcome any inhibitions that we as adults have about getting and speaking in public. They, we catch the kids before they even develop those fears. And so it's just a great life skill that they learn from that. And then we're a community rental facility for about 12 different organizations, a community theater, a community band, three different schools use us for their productions. So we are really busy in a normal year all the time and over 30,000 people coming through our doors in a normal year. It's really amazing and congratulations to you and your team for really all that you're doing and you know I'd also just congratulate you uh, Christine because you also take advantage of um, using the power of your voice to be able to advocate for your organization, for historic preservation, for historic theaters um, all across the state and can you talk a little bit about that? How does that what do you think the power of other arts administrators and others in our communities all around Michigan, what can they do to use their voice to make change and to influence change? I think a lot of it is, first of all, you just have to get out in your community. You have to get to know people and let them know you and let them know you with the utmost respect for their thinking. And when you make your case for the arts, which, you know, it's about economic development, it's about quality of life, it's about education, it's about um, arts and culture. And for us, it's also about history and stuff. There's so many reasons to support an organization, an arts organization. So you have to know those things to be able to talk to whoever it is that you're in front of and not necessarily preach, but just get them, draw them in to what you are so that they understand and can appreciate maybe some things that they didn't think about. Um, when I first came in here, economics was not on the, on the board at all. People didn't think about what an economic driver Tibbetts was until I started talking to them and reminding them and talking about the you know, 10,000 people that come for summer theater, you know where they're buying their gas and they're going to the grocery store and they're certainly going out for a bite to eat before or after the show and supporting the restaurants and the bars and stuff. That's all economics that suddenly people would say, oh, well, there's more to it than just the arts and crafts stuff or arts and cultural stuff that I really don't care about, you know? and they'd start to appreciate that. So you have to be positive. You have to just always talk about what it is that you do. And don't forget to make friends with your legislators. Again, keep it positive, invite them to a show. Don't make them feel like they're gonna be, have their arm twisted every time they see you, that they can just have a good conversation and develop yourself as the one that they know that they can go to if they have a question about the arts, how does this impact 
how would this impact you or how would this can impact whatever it is that you're doing? How would this impact your historic, your historic preservation efforts? So. Thanks, Christine. And, you know, you said it here. Um, we're looking forward to hopefully having 30,000 more people come back through the Tibbetts Center this, or the Tibbetts Opera House this next year. Um, if people were looking for more information about the Tibbetts Opera House in Coldwater, Michigan, where can they find more information about you? Tibbetts.org. T-I-B-B-I-T-S dot org. Pretty easy. Great. And, and we have a great website. And I'm assuming you're on social media that people can find yes. you there as well. Yes. And one of the things that we have on social media, if they want to get into it, is a backstage pass. And you mm. can kind of get a glimpse of some of our shows and meet the actors. And they're, they're fascinating study into what goes into a summer stock theater program. Well, it's amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I think we had a great conversation about historic preservation, the importance of that really for our state. And we hope that um, everybody else will really just continue to look around them at all the beautiful buildings that exist and have existed in our communities for a long time. And that just a little bit of love and care and, uh, and a little bit of community can make a lot happen. So thank you for joining me today, Christine. Thank you for having me. It's, it was a joy.